Xavier Ellis directly in front. Kicks from 40. And gets off on the lead. Gossett does well to Tuvia. Coughs it straight up to Ellis. Ellis from 40. Left foot going home. Yes! Go to Hawthorne. Two points the difference. This for the lead. Ellis comes in, jabs at it, and gets it. Hooks in front. Ball to the plate of Bateman. Bateman wanting to handle it to Hodge. Confronted by Thomas, not for the first time. Back to Bateman, off to Ellis. Great running stuff from Hawthorne. What a superb goal. They're back to their best. G'day Hawks fans, happy to have your company on another edition of the Hawk Talk podcast. Now you may have noticed lately we've been on a bit of a roll linking up with all sorts of special guests from the Hawthorne community and now Tiz, we're getting back with an ex. It's Xavier <laughs> Ellis. Yeah, it's uh, an ex with excellent taste, let's put it that way. With X Factor. Yeah, and X Factor, but he's played for the two best AFL clubs in the modern era. What was his winning percentage? It was 60-something percent? Yep, 65. Jeez, that's not bad. Yeah, some coaches fail to get that, so <laughs> it's not bad at all. Now, of course, this is a guy that we're very much looking forward to having on the show, and uh, he delivered. You're in for an entertaining interview for sure. It covers... Uh, well, all the hits. He plays the hits to Xavier. I mean, obviously, we want to wanted to hear about the 2008 flag, but, I mean, there's so much to unpack. I think we might just cut straight to the interview. Again, as always, we'd like to thank Xavier for his time. Uh, this was an absolute pleasure. Your mum's side of the family, diehard Hawthorne supporters, is that right? Yeah, they were mum's side. Um, grandparents all the way through mum's um, brother and sisters, all my cousins. Uh, they were all all mad, mad, mad Hawthorne. Um, conversely, I was mad Essendon. So um, I don't know. My dad was Essendon, and uh, there was two of us amongst the, a flock of uh, a flock of Hawks. So, could you walk us through the reaction when you learned you would represent the brown and gold? I imagine there would have been a fair bit going on. Oh, to be honest, mate, I was um, I grew up in a town of three hundred people, so. Um, yeah, playing AFL football was so far away. I just wanted to play for Lakes Entrance. So <laughs> I didn't care. I did not care who it was, where it was, and when it was. Um, when uh, Hawthorne read my name out, I was good mates with Jared Roughhead um, growing up. I knew him through Gippsland. So um, I'm, I, when, I don't know, when you get a bit older, I suppose, and at under 18 level, you sort of go away from following teams as such, but more the people you might have met along the way. So... Um, the older I got, I uh, you know, obviously knew Roughhead, so I had a soft spot for um, yeah for Hawthorne, obviously. So mm. I was thrilled. What were your first impressions of Hawthorne when you arrived at the club? Can you cast your mind back and what, how did you feel going in? Yeah, I remember it well. Um, I used to live uh, right near the MCG, um, Agnes Street. So it's like where Cricket Australia is. The cricket nets are at the MCG, um, right, right in there. So didn't have to go far, did you? No. <laughs> I used to walk to games and you know, throw the backpack on and, and through the through. I used to enter through the normal gates there, and I also enter through and then jump the fence. So um, I remember my first training session. I was ready to go, and Sam Mitchell was organised to pick me up. And I was obviously nervous, but a bit excited at the same time. And um, yes, yeah, so Sam, I get hey Sam, how are you going? Said, oh mate, I should have got Tim Clark to pick you up. So Tim Clark, Tim Clark lived a hundred metres away. So I put on. It's day one for a kid here. <laughs> yeah, so Sam Mitchell drove me to my first training session. I still remember it was out at Kerry Grammar. Uh, still training at Glenferry Oval at that stage. I never, I only spent a couple of weeks at Glenferry before transferring. 
bring over to uh, Waverley. But mm. um, yeah, it was uh, yeah one of those days. I, I never met an AFL footballer, let alone you know trained with forty five of them. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was a great day. But you played on Cyril in your school days, hadn't you? Yeah, played on Cyril. He was a Scotch college boy. I was a uh, I was a Melbourne grammar lad. Um, we had a rivalry. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a ripper. It's a, it's a really good uh, rivalry that we've got. Um, Scotch Melbourne Grammar. We we're the first two um, sort of I suppose, sporting clubs. I know that football uh, might might go a lot deeper than what we sort of document. But um, Melbourne Grammar v Scotch was that game of football that uh, was played out in the car park over five days and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And the score you know, was killed or one or so. So uh, you know, that's obviously 150 years on. Uh, so we used to have four to five or six thousand people, you know, watching a school game of football. Uh, and Cyril was at, at Scotch and um, they pipped us to play three or four of them. They got us a couple of times. So Cyril got, I think Cyril would say he was, under, he was undefeated against us uh, the years he played. I, I read that you actually buddied up with uh, Tom Hawkins in the early days at Melbourne Grammar. Um, that was doomed, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> along the line. How are you with Tom these days? Yeah, I spoke to him today, actually. Um, yeah, we were in each other's wedding parties and, and whatnot. So, um, you yeah, know, it was quite funny. I asked how he was going, um, how he was going financially and whether he was at 50% of his pay or 30% of his pay. And, uh, <laughs> at the age of 32, had a contract on 30% pay. He was, uh, you know, he was quite pleased with how things have been going this year. But, um, no, nah, he, he's just ready to get back in the footy. But, um yeah, I rooted with him when I, when I moved to Melbourne Grammar. I, um, I was put in a, a boarding house and uh, Tom was, was my roommate. So it was him and I. And uh, fair to say, we didn't do a lot of work. <laughs> and if we did and if we did do the work, it probably wasn't right anyway. So I feel like <laughs> people say we wasted time, but I, I think we're quite time effective because if we we're going to try and do work, it wasn't going to be correct. So we may as well go do something we're going to get right. So... Um, yeah, we mucked around. We had an absolute ball of a time. But, uh, yeah, he, he's a real country boy. He owns a farm and stuff like that, whereas I just grew up a long way from Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to you, your first game, which is uh, against Brisbane, who you seem to play very well against throughout your career, actually. Seem to love picking up huge numbers against them. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I've played particularly well against anyone. But... Um, I do remember the first game against Brisbane. Uh, Jonathan Brown, I, I never really played backline, uh, and I was playing back pocket. And when I first started, it was when you uh, you, you were sort of a, a bench player, essentially. You played 50 to 60% game time uh, maximum. So you come off and you go, geez, I've had 10 touches or 11 touches or whatever, but you never really extrapolated over the amount of game time you've played. So um, I remember standing there and Jonathan Brown, in my first quarter or second quarter, I remember Warden stand there, kid. And I was like, no worries, Brownie. I'm out. Where do you want me? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, that, was, that was good fun. And, and one thing I do remember from that game um, was 06 uh, Hawks, were the youngest team in the comp or whatever, showed a lot of spunk. Uh, and there was the assumption that they were just going to leapfrog um, and had a really good preseason in 07, which they, they made finals in the end. But... Um, yeah, I thought they were probably going to be, you know, I think we all thought internally, but even though the youngest of the team, that they were going to fly. And Clarko, for the first and only time ever, when he put the team uh, magnets on the board before the game, not one Brisbane player was on the board. Uh, usually you have, you know, um, forward pocket, back pocket, full forward pocket, back, all the way along the board. He didn't put 
any Brisbane players up on the board. And I saw him say, it's not about them. It's only about us. Da, 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 da. And that, and we got our pants pulled down and that never <laughs> happened again. Yeah, you basically out of the contest for most of the day, yeah. But you managed to get 13 touches in your first game, which is a it's a good result. With the 32 on your back that day. I love the 32. I got moved from 32 to number eight, but I love the 32. Um, yeah, some of the players have started in it, like Lee Matthews started in it, um, Brownie started in it, Ben Dixon started in it. There might be another another yeah, reasonably name who got moved forward and got moved uh, up the chain, but uh, he got moved to eight. Uh, when Danny Jacobs retired late, I think it might have been. Um, and yeah, it was like, he's number eight, mate. What a what an honour, which, it, oh, yeah, number eight, great. And Danny Jacobs is a ripper. But oh, I was I was really happy in number 32. Colin Robertson won a, won a uh, Norm Smith in the 32, of course. Yeah, yeah. But even around the league, like Rashudo was 32, Andrew Embley was 32, Hart was 32, um, Cam Bruce was 32. Like there was a lot of good 32s running around, and I, I was more than happy to stay in the 32. But um, yeah, maybe I wasn't fitting of the 32. They moved me on. <laughs> well, the next bug who got the 32 moved on pretty quick, so I wouldn't be too worried. Yeah, oh, no, I can't remember who even got it after me. Um, Kennedy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you, you got the number. You got the number eight for uh, the 08 season, and I mean. What an incredible ride! Uh, it, it's hard to it's hard not to just leap straight through the grand final, but I know we've got to go through round one. It's <laughs> incredible round one. I loved that game. So for context, uh, Tiz really hates Melbourne. Oh, we played there. We smashed the D's by hundred points. Is that right? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I've got I've got like I don't know. I, I remember most games or something from most games. I do remember uh, that round one. I don't think I'm going to kick. Really, but um, I remember we won by by an absolute mile. And a lot of my mates, having gone to school in Melbourne, all Melbourne supporters, say that their pain. I just love it, and I still (laughs) love it to today. I love them getting smashed. Fantastic! I love it too. Something about '96 for me, but obviously it runs a bit deeper for you. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, um, it was it was fun when we used to win by a hundred. But having spent some time at West Coast, geez, it was good fun knocking them out of a prelim. Yeah, that was an incredible game, that. They switched off the TVs pretty quick that night. Well, I, I most certainly didn't. I, I actually just had my first child the day before and um, my family were over and a lot of people were going into the hospital to visit uh, Emily, my wife, and uh, Dad was over and I said, oh, Dad, let's just duck over the prelim and uh, give everyone some space and some time. Well, we, uh, we ducked over the prelim and we might have squeezed a few too many in by the time we got back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the occasion for it. Yeah, it was. That, that 2008 season, how do you reflect on that? Because, uh, I mean, that that was something special. Even before you get to that final series, which was just a ripper, that, uh, that season was very enjoyable from a fan's perspective. But how about you as a player? How do you reflect on that? Um, one of the little things I remember is at the start of the season when the experts put their, uh, their final 80 in or their top eight selections that I reckon we were only in maybe three out of 10 or, you know, 30% of however many were, were um, published. And I, I remember thinking, I just don't think that's right. I, me and Virtual spoke in 2007 that we are going to win the premiership. So, uh, but we were two young, pretty stupid kids. So, but I, yeah, I, I remember 2008 and we started really well uh, throughout the season. Uh, I think we won the first eight maybe or something like that. But that was all the good players needed. The Hodge, Hodge Mitchell, Franklin, Franklin obviously in 08, was just just to realise that uh, they were 
not only very good, but quite possibly, you know, the best the best players in the competition. Um, Geelong were were pretty good, but um, we also beat them the year before. So, um, yeah, they were all conquering 2007 premiers, but we actually knocked them off in 2007. So there wasn't really uh, too much that uh, that was to be feared because we had that you know, some that's probably arrogance. We had that young arrogance of 18, 19, 20 year olds who um, had never had any life experiences really. You hadn't gone through much hardship. And it made you fantastic to watch that because you'd try anything and it created some incredible goals and just the confidence coming out of the back line that Clarko had some kind of structure to it. But it just, as a fan, you were just, you were never sure and neither was the opposition where that ball was going. Yeah, and in fairness to our playing group, uh, we were young and we enjoyed a good time. Uh, you know, on, on the weekends or whatever. But the Monday training sessions and the skill level was incredible. And, I mean, if you were a senior coach and you looked at, you know, say, Hodge, you went for a beer and I went for a beer, and, you know, from, you know, the old leaders to the to the younger players, you just knew on Monday that um, the skill level and the training, the effort was going to be as good as anyone in the competition. Um, and I think that probably... For Clarko, uh, it was it was an easy way for him to balance the the ability to get away from football. But then when it was time to train, we um, we trained pretty hard, which was good. And we didn't do a lot of running. Uh, we did a lot of skill work, and that that sort of showed, I think, not only through two thousand and eight, but yeah, that that stemmed for the next seven eight years. That confidence that you spoke of before, I think it was uh, that rings true from round seventeen. I think it was when you you faced Geelong, but you lose. But this, the story out of that is the resolve of, it's okay, we'll, we'll get them. We can get this team, we'll get them next time. Now as it happens, you, you stroll into the 2008 Grand Final and, and you've got the likes of Ablett, Bartell and Selwood. How are you feeling about coming up against some of those champs? Because they, they aren't small-time names. No, they're not. And you're right, so that, uh, round 17, it was a Friday night. Um, and every year there's that game that everyone looks forward to towards the back end of the season where the two big dogs clash heads really and that was then uh, and, and we I reckon Hodgie might have had his first son that week uh, and Hodgie was, was put in a shocker and you never say Hodgie put in a shocker. I remember he kicked it across the ground didn't he and they intercepted and yeah. took it for the goal yeah. And we were a fraction away from them all night so um, <clears throat> I left going oh gee that was a good effort and then we had a recovery session the next day. And I remember Clarko called a meeting to start with, which usually meant someone had mucked up on the piss. And I was like, oh, what's happened here? <laughs> I mean, you, never, like, you, never, you never had um, you know, team meetings get recovery. It was literally get in, get out. Uh, and you just got on the whiteboard and um, not, not said, you know, we're a good chance. He said, we will win the premiership. Wow. If you do two or three things on the board and... Um, so, yeah, and, and that's all the young, as I mentioned, the, the young team with a bit of confidence and a bit of um, you know, arrogance about them. That's all they needed was a head coach who was still um, relatively untried and not, not overly successful, Clarko. Um, he'd won, I think, probably one final by then. So, uh, yeah, we came in in 2008 and we were our underdogs. But I, st- I remember thinking, and again, I speak of that young arrogance, that... Um, I thought pound for pound our midfield was better than theirs. And then you look at the names and you go, um, <laughs> how, am I, how am I judging the, the, you know, the Brownlow medalist, you know, so-and-so? How, how am I possibly putting them ahead of each other? But um, 
I think that was the best thing. It was hot. We were fit, and um, oh, yeah, and we had nothing to lose. What was it like with Croft? Because he would have put some pressure on the playing group. Funny you didn't. So you see, before the game in the warm up, every um, every player is yeah, really basic early in the warm up. They pair up and just do kick to kick over twenty meters. So I kicked with Croft um, on that day, and and he was just casual, you know, lad, uh, obviously focused, but. Uh, that was the best part was just how relaxed everyone was. There was nothing to be uptight about. It was an opportunity. Uh, you're a 50-50 chance as much as, you know, you look at the, the bookmakers and, you know, they said Geelong couldn't lose or whatever. You, you, you're a 50-50 chance. And there was there just wasn't any pressure. There really wasn't. You know, it was it was a beautiful day. It was almost the perfect day. It was hot. Um, you know, it's a long uh, – we lost a couple of players, so it was a bit of adversity um, for, the, for the team who – as a, at a game, like the back to the wall, a bit of spunk about him. It didn't really, it didn't really worry us. Um, you know, we lost Trent Crowe, who was an All Australian defender, and um, you know Clinton Young, who was having an exceptional game. So watching it, I thought Clinton Young would derail our efforts actually, because he was just so important. Young, he was exceptional. He, he was he was an underrated player, Youngie. But um, yeah, it was hot, and I just remember how buggered we were at halftime, like really, really drained. Uh, and Andrew Russell came in and said, oh, they get the Cats players had hired one of those freeze events. You know, you, you, you sort of big... And the Geelong boys were in there cooling down. And um, I'd run a fair way personally in that first half. And I, I thought, oh, we're, we're hung on, but I'm shot. As soon as I heard that the Geelong old players were sitting in a freezer van, that was, enough, that was like a, a shot to the arm. You know, the energy that sort of flowed through us thinking, well... It's 28, we're right, I mean, we're in front or we're just behind them, whatever it was, but, um, yeah, we, we felt better than they felt. Well, Clinton Young goes down, but then this fellow wearing number eight stands up. He's already kicked a goal, the second goal of the game in the first term, and he's absolutely critical to Hawthorne. Were you aware at the time what you were doing or did it just happen naturally? Or Yeah, no, it's it's funny. People have said, um, you know, it was, it was a good game and I had good fun. I kicked it like... I kicked it horribly in the third quarter, which really cost us. But um, I actually played probably, I think, my best game I ever played against Geelong in the round 17 game, in the Friday night game. And I, I remember thinking that it wasn't that hard. Not that it wasn't that hard, but it wasn't as frightening. It wasn't as frightening as what, um, yeah, it might be standing next to Ablett, Bartel, Steve Johnson, Ab- yeah, Corey, all those sort of guys. So I, I was really confident that... Um, that they're not going to ever man me up. Like they, they wouldn't have known my name. So, um, yeah, I was just the skinny, the skinny pasty fellow running around. And, you know, <laughs> I grew up with Joel Selwood. Um, so I knew him really well, but I had no affiliation, never met any of them. And, um, yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm heavily overweight these days, but at that stage I was a pretty good runner. So it was really their mistake for overlooking you because he did some damage. Speaking of damage, though, that third quarter is obviously a slice of heaven for Hawks fans and yourself. Uh, the surge of momentum, even now watching it back, is simply incredible. Um, how did it feel out there at the time? Did, were you overcome with what was actually happening in front of you? Did you get the sense of what was happening? Yeah, like every footballer, I'm not too bad at the six times table. So um, <laughs> when you kick one and you add six, and then you add six more, then you add six more. Um, obviously, the Stewie Jew um, patch of brilliance was something that not only Hawthorne supporters remembered, but a bloke who quit footy, moved to Hollywood, um, ate himself, and then came back and um, 
you know, turned in grand final in, in five minutes was incredible. I still think, though, if you look at that snap he kicked, I think it was his last goal he kicked, Dennis Pagan said no U-turns, and if Huey <laughs> Jew just looked up, I was prime real estate to pop another one through. But, uh, no, nah, that was that was just as electric uh, football that I've ever witnessed. Just And it was if, if Buddy did it, you tip your hat to it and go, oh, that's just Buddy. But for a bloke who was, you know, overweight, um, you know, the story of Stewie Drew over that 12 to 18 months with Clarko is, is, is a funny story. So, yeah, for him to be the one who personally turns a grand final and repays the favours of, uh, well, Clarko, because Clarko selected him and had a Barney about selecting him. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah, Stewie Drew was, was something that, I still to today, just I don't watch the game, but I'll just get on YouTube and watch Stewie Juice five minutes of you know, the grand final. <laughs> it's an incredible cameo. I, I kind of think, though, with what happened in 2009, maybe inadvertently set a bad example. You know, Stewie Dew being called by commentary the unlikely bulky hero. Yeah. Gave a few players a bit of an idea of what they could get away with the next yeah. year, maybe. No, <laughs> I do laugh. I think there's a goal at Dewey Kicks where. And people like myself who are overweight, the, the shirt sometimes gets tucked in under the man boot. <laughs> and Dewey kicked one, and before he could celebrate, he had to untuck it off his uh, out of his rolls and away he went. <laughs> you look at it, he, he readjusted the jumper. And don't, don't worry, Dewey's an absolute ripper, and I do it myself now. But um, <laughs> when you were, um, yeah, oh, 2009, yeah, I, I, maybe I was young and naive, but I didn't think we got ahead of ourselves. I think we just had an absolute bucket load of injuries. Like I had. I had surgery after Christmas on a hip tendon I had, which, you know, it was, um, yeah, hopefully it would heal. So, like, there was, that's just me personally was, um, you know, you had surgery probably 15 weeks after I, I, sh- I should have. Um, but when you want a flag and you, you're thinking, and the doctors are thinking, um, you know, if we don't have to chop a 18-year-old's leg in half to, to, you know, to try and repair him, if we can naturally do it for a kid, obviously. And I think... Um, you know, maybe we did get a bit carried away, but I, I don't remember it as, you know, oh, let's not train, let's go to the pub or let's, you know, dog a training session or anything like that. I think we trained just as hard. I, I, the hangover stuff, I think, yeah, maybe um, training didn't get harder but uh, and, the, and the league got better, but I don't ever think we dogged a session or anything like that. Now, I mean, since we're talking about this stuff, I don't mean to put you on blast, but we, we really have to talk about this because I just think it's sensational. There was a certain celebration that occurred right after the grand final uh, involving some fried chicken. Is this this is a true story with Grant Virgil? This happened? Yeah, it did. I, I, I tweeted something the other day. Um, Dave Hughes tweeted something. And then, um, so I work with Hughesy um, in the radio world these days. And and I tweeted, I reckon I went home with Grant Virgil and ate 50 bits of chicken. <laughs> Uh, the skin off, they had the skin off 50 bits of chicken. And it was within half an hour, Grant Virtual texted me saying, Oh, mate, what a night that was. So <laughs> uh, it definitely happened. We went through the, the Mac, other uh, Macas, the KFC, sorry, on um, Swan Street. Yeah, through the Swan Street KFC, was on the way home and um, yeah, filled ourselves full of uh, chicken skin. <laughs> Maybe I just answered your question previously whether we got carried away or not. <laughs> We're both pretty done eating 50 chickens, so yeah. I think you're allowed. What? It's the night after. I think that's fine. Um, I, there is a celebration I do actually want to spotlight, uh, and it's the one where 
you all return to the MCG in the evening and, and sing the song. And from an outsider's perspective, Xavier, that seems like such a magical experience. How do you reflect on on that and returning to the ground? That must have been amazing. Oh, mate, to be honest with you, I just took it all for granted. Um, mm. Yeah, I just wish that I could go back in time. And I thought, oh, I'm going to win two or three of these, no dramas. And uh, the other boys did. But, um, yeah, I, I just took it for granted. And that's why um, losing 2012 hurt. But when I moved over to West Coast, losing 2015 really hurt because I just knew how hard they were then. I just knew what it meant. And if you'd asked me what it was like, singing a song in the, after winning a grand final with Hawthorne in, um, you know, uh, the 13, 14, 15, I would have reflected on it and thought, you know, that I'd still get a churn in my stomach. Um, but it did, at that age, I did, yeah, I just made the assumption that I was going to have a handful of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, because you were, um, what were you, 20? You're the third youngest in that side, apart from yeah. Renouf and uh, Cyril Rioli. Yeah, so, um, and, we, and with a bit of luck and... You know, zigging rather than zagging. And um, you know, I, had, I had an injection in 2012, the grand final, which sort of cooked me for 12 months. But would you change it? No, if we won 2012, I'd be the happiest man alive. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know, um, sliding door sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I missed out on it on a few flags and, and unfortunately won one early. Not unfortunately, fortunately won one, but unfortunately won it so early in the piece that... Uh, at that stage, I was still looking for the, um, you know, to catch up with my schoolmates who were first and second year uni students to, you know, go to 18th and 21st. There's always vision of it. It can't be denied. It definitely happened. You've got that. It's in the bank. I can promise you I bought the DVD. <laughs> it's like when they ask whether you're going to get a tattoo, you say, no, I've got the DVD. That'll do me. <laughs> Those next few years... Um... They were difficult by the sounds of it. I mean, you regularly battled injury yeah. and you did get another crack at the flag. It wasn't to be. It seemed like there was a great deal of adversity in that part of your career to try and overcome. And you forced your way back into that side in uh, the late part of 2012. You really worked to get there. Yeah, I had a, um, had a bit of a rule with, with Clarko that uh, I had to play two games of um, state league football and it had to be half a game and then... Um, at least three quarters, and then I'd be in the team. And it was a, um, it just gave you something to aim at. But you know, you look back now, and I would have much rather done ACL probably two or three times than um, I probably missed four or five years with a calf injury, essentially. In the end, where you know you do a calf, you don't ever do a calf and get a time frame of twelve months. At least you got twelve months, you can go right. Oh, for two months, I'm going to aim for this, and then. I'm going to have a break and go, you know, back to see my family. Then I might train really hard for two months and pick up a different sort of, you know, cardio exercise. I want to be a cyclist. And then just you, you do it, but like when you do a calf so repeatedly that, um, you know, there's a 21 days, 21 days, and then it sort of, you blow it again and then it's, you know, six weeks. And then there's just never a, just just chill out. You've got so much time. You are not going to play. You're always chasing your tail with soft tissue, I felt. It's, um, and if you could get back, you know, like every football, if you get back early, you would. Whereas ACLs, you go, well, I've missed 12 months. So what's the point of trying to get back a week earlier? Yeah, you just, yeah got you, yeah. You move, whereas, um, you know, soft tissue, you really try and, um, you try and beat the clock. And uh, it really caught up with me a couple of times. Um, yeah, just trying to trying to get back and um, yeah, 2012 playing that grand final. I had a bit of a knee injury uh, which I missed most of the season with, and did the calf of which we, we injected with 
vocal um, during the game and then they tried to run on it for a while. And um, yeah, that's the stuff that you win that flag, how good. And again, if I was a little bit older um, and a bit wiser, you lose, I wouldn't have, you know, you go back in time and, and you can see the future. You're like, I'm not going out. I'm straight to rehab. I am so keen on getting, because, you know, before you know it, you've, you've done a week on a calf that's you know, done a fair bit of damage and, uh, yeah, I missed most of 2013 and then um, that was it. So I missed, you know, yeah, overall probably four years of footy just because of, you know, little nearly things that the, the return date always seemed to be in, in distance, but in reality, you'd always have a little slip up and, you know, I reflected if, you know, if, if I could sub in two ACLs for, um, you know, getting rid of the little niggly things that would keep you out for, for these little time frames, um, you know, I think I'd do it in a heartbeat. Well, while it was immensely frustrating for you, I tell you what was frustrating as a fan was seeing you turn up in 2014 and I think you played uh, 17 games. And I was thinking, what's Jack Russell been doing all this time? <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Um... When I moved over, obviously I had a relationship with Simo. Uh, and when I, when I signed with West Coast, I was actually on a trip with Fremantle. So um, Fremantle had flown me over and put me up in a hotel and um, and were you know, looking to recruit me. They'd been in touch with the, the manager for maybe 10 weeks or something. When it was just the writing was sort of on the wall. Clark, I knew, I knew that maybe I needed a fresh start. Um, and when I was in, in Frio, they sent me to get a scan on my leg and just so happened to be at Subiaco, which is where, where West Coast are training out. So Fremantle, half an hour away, sent me to Subi, and I just spoke to Simo, I just texted him. He goes, oh, you won't believe how big my office is. <laughs> um, which there was nothing sinister in it. It was literally Simo went from a dog box to, um, you know, the West Coast coach had a, a dining table of, which could seat 16. Jesus could have had his last supper there. Like, it was incredible. <laughs> um, so I popped in. Um and yeah, and then went out my scan and all that sort of stuff, and um, came back to Melbourne and had a family reunion at the Pakenham races. And the next day, I was a West Coast player. So, Jeez. Uh, just so happened that when I um, was getting a tour, an unofficial, you know, tour of, of um, Simo's office, Elliot Yo was also um, cutting the cutting a lap through through the offices and. No one really knew who, who how good Elliot Joe was going to be. Now I look back and think, gee whiz, they should have had the red the red carpet rolled out for Elliot Joe. But um, instead, instead, I was walking around gawking at this big table. <laughs> do you think he was? Uh, do you think he was hiding his abilities a little bit to try and get out of where he was? Nah, nah, I would, I, I, nah. You can never say that because uh, I think his first year at West Coast he showed signs, but it was never. Um, people would say his future's so bright, and I reckon. Brisbane knew his future was bright, but uh, they lost Sam Doherty as well that year. And Well, that, that was what they were saying. They were saying some of the players up at Brisbane were deliberately sort of, and Gold Coast were holding it back. And uh, that's the allegation with, um, what's our 35 again, Nick? Oh, Scrimshaw. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. No, you could never, you could never um, more if just put myself in their shoes, like a young kid who's, Never played a game of AFL football, and your dreams to play AFL. You're probably not going to dog it in your second year. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't imagine. There's confidence, and then that maybe takes it a little bit far. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But um, and also, uh, you, you just don't like these these sort of guys. You look at the character, the way they play these days. It just, it's just not their character to, to dog a game of football or, or you know um, take it easy in training and stuff. So 
Um, maybe the Gold Coast because um, yeah, the, the 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 it's proven that the character of play that was drafted hasn't sort of fired. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of left. So um, no, definitely wouldn't say Yoey was was doing anything like that. So you did end up playing for the two most successful AFL teams in the last. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy that um, you know. Real privilege to play at Hawthorne. Um, and at the time when I was at Hawthorne, you still had the Collingwoods. Hawthorne were the best team by far throughout that era. Uh, but the size the size of West Coast is what still surprises me to today, is just the size and the power of the West Coast Eagles. Um, yeah, and you are dividing Victoria by 10 and you're dividing WA by two. Um, and I heard James Brayshaw say the other day that over in the East Coast, we, we get our knickers in a knot about how big Collingwood and Richmond are. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'd be shocked to know what, what West Coast could do if they were allowed to spread their wings. Um, yeah, it's crazy over here, uh, two-team town, but West Coast have got their hand in you know, some really good really good uh, businesses and companies and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so fortunate that... Uh, and you look at the soft cap issues at the moment, with COVID-19 and, um, you know, getting it from 9.6, I think, down to 6 million, it kind of makes me feel a bit uncomfortable that um, we're sending these coaches. I get that there's some clubs that can't afford to keep coaches, but in the times we've got now, we're sending, we're sending coaches who can afford to keep their job. West Coast can afford to keep their coaches on, but instead we're making them line up for, um, you know, government payments and stuff. It's just... In a year that's really bizarre and unusual, I find it... In the name of equality, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I find it really uncomfortable that you know, a poorly run football club is now the reason why um, people who have got jobs in clubs who can afford to keep coaches on, and these coaches that are going to get the arse, um, you know, this, this week coming or whatever, whatever it will be, they're not the coaches that are making game-winning moves on game day in the AFL. They're the ones that are nurturing the kids. Um, developing the kids and all that sort of stuff. So to to see what's going to happen this week, and I, I don't know, Hawthorne's financial position, they're generally pretty good. Um, you know, they're going to have to offload some really good people as are West Coast, as are Richmond, Collingwood. You know, the bigger clubs who, um, the, the coaches aren't going to be the ones that are going to win your premiership, the ones that are going to get offloaded, but you know, all of a sudden they're heading to the government line, unfortunately. You still sound like you've got your finger on the pulse generally when it comes to the game. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, I, I reckon, say there's nine games a week, I'd watch seven, I reckon. Wow. Yeah, I'd watch seven. Um, absolutely love it. It's really fortunate. I do Channel 7 stuff over here in WA, so mm. um, you don't want to look like an absolute goose. Um, <laughs> you know, and I still get in awe of the people I'm chatting to. So mm. uh, post-game, uh, and one of, the, one of the best moments of, I suppose, my footballing time, I guess, was when we, uh, Hawthorne beat uh, West Coast last year at the end of the season. They absolutely whopped them, and... I was interviewing um, Chad Wingard and Clarko wandered over mid-interview and gave me a big hug. And, I saw this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just felt like, oh, it's good to be, he's such a champion bloke and he probably looks at me and knows me well going, oh, he's so far out of his depth, I better bail him <laughs> out and dives in. But, um, yeah, I, I love it. And, you know, one day and then, you know, Fortunately, times have changed. I'd love to get back into doing AFL. I'm, I'm really lucky what I'm doing now. Um, but, yeah, I watch it as much as I can. Uh, over here, I, I write for the West, the West Australian once a week um, and then do the AFL waffle and, um, you yeah, know, try and, 
try and get as much AFL into my radio show as possible, but that's uh, that seems to be a hard deal to cut. Well, I, I wanted to talk about that stuff because once upon a time, I think it might have been back in 2010, you were the host of X's Insiders for the uh, for Hawthorne. And can we delete that? Can we get rid of that off the internet? Oh, I might have watched it at the time, but I, me personally, I haven't seen it in ages. And I think at the time you might have enjoyed it, but you did remark back then in 2010, and this is a quote, I hope you don't mind. I don't think the media's for me. The boys at the club probably think I'm too opinionated for the media. Well, Xavier, something changed, didn't it? <laughs> what what led you down this path? I can say exactly the moment um, it changed. I and mean, like, I don't think I've ever been a bad person, but <laughs> when I moved to when I moved to uh, when I moved to WA, Simo said to me, "Mate, no one knows you here." No, and I didn't. I didn't know anyone. Um, I had an affiliation with Scott Selwood purely through Joel Selwood, but I would have met Scooter maybe three or four times. No, so not not anything like I'm ringing or anything. Um, and Simo just said to me, no one knows you. So if you want to change something or do something, just do it and make it feel like it's normal. And day one, I wore my hat back to front to training. I've never done that in my life. And I was just like, these folks are going to think I'm pretty cool. I, I rolled my hat back to front. But um, it just gave me... Uh, move, yeah, moving to WA, I felt like at Hawthorne, um, you've, you've drafted the year after Franklin... Roughhead, Lewis, um, you know, Hodgie, Mitchell and those guys were young leaders. You sort of fall in the line behind the champions. Um, and I guess over in WA, there weren't too many champions. We hadn't made the finals. And, like, you just could be yourself. Um, and, yeah, just being myself, for, um, a, a version of myself. I was always myself at Hawthorne, but a different version, a bit more lighthearted, have some fun. Um, and enjoy and enjoy myself and yeah, I sort of fell into just um, yeah, running a few gags and having a bit of fun and then um, yeah just got invited to be the West Coast player on a uh, on a radio station and then from that yeah, it just grew from there so it really it honestly stemmed from the day I wore my hat back to front <laughs> I, 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 it sounds stupid I know I know it sounds really stupid but that was the day I was just like I just don't care what people think but that's it isn't it I mean well, you, you've got that opportunity that, you know, people get at some points in their life where they have a blank slate and they're like, well, why can't I do this? I can literally be anyone I want to be. No one knows who I am. Yeah. I can set the tone. And, and you started with the thing on your head. Yeah. And like, yeah, I moved to West Coast on, a, yeah, a tiny contract. It was, um, you know, there was no compensation for Hawthorne as a free agent. So, um yeah, a really, really small contract. So it was almost like I actually, I have no pressure on me to do anything. You know, if I if I fail, I am I'm a rookie getting cut. Like that's honestly how I felt too. So, um, and that's why I just you know I fell into line with a few of you know Scott Selwood and Luke Shuey and those guys became really good mates of mine. And the first footy trip I went on, it was a a trip to Dampier, which is about twelve hundred k's north of Perth. Um, to Dean Cox's shack. <laughs> and I thought, I honestly thought when Dean Cox said he had a shack, I was like, oh, this is going to be a mansion. This is going to be sick. <laughs> it was a couple of tin walls with a tin roof and a generator on this island. And it, it was just, I don't know, it just felt like I, I just loved it. You know, there was no, we literally just um, had a few beers, fished, and it, just, it was just so much different between, uh, and I loved both, absolutely loved both. But I just got a bit older and slower at West Coast, I think, in terms of life. Um, there was no need to go overseas. It was just like, we just go fishing and catch some fish and drink. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. So we, you know, we lived in a shack for 
10 days. I wanted to ask about, I think in 2011, Hodge and a couple of other players approached Clarko and sort of told him that it wasn't working his game plan. What was that like for the time at the club? That must have been oh, very frustrating for the playing group. And, of course, Clarko would be frustrated, but he wouldn't have expected that kind of approach, would he? Yeah, the only thing, I obviously wouldn't have been in that meeting, but um, you know, I, was in some, I was in some meetings where I thought this is interesting, you know, Clarko to players and then players to Clarko. But I guess... The version of Alistair Clarkson, and you see a bit more of a tamed down version now that he is a four-time premiership coach. Um, you know, he's not reaching to be in amongst, you know, he's not reaching to be a good coach. He's now sitting comfortably amongst the great coaches, I suppose. So um, those conversations, I guess. Pretty one-sided now. Yeah, well, it would have been hard. would have been hard in 2011 because Clarko was just, back then, was just a premiership coach. And it's like, like me, a premiership player. A lot of players win premierships. Not many win two and bugger all win three. So <laughs> Clarko was fighting to win his second and, and separate himself from a from a pack. And Hodgie and Mitchell and those guys would have been doing the same as well. But in terms of the game plan conversation, there was a patch there where we did try and divert into different game styles. Um, you know, I think it might have been a little bit of we're good at three different game styles. And I reckon the conversation might have been, let's just be great at one game style. Uh, and and, uh, and I, I don't know the conversation that, you, that you're actually specifically talking about, but there were times where we tried to go down the skinny side of the ground nonstop. And then there was times where we tried to come out of the defence. And then I reckon that they just, because 2010 um, was a, a finals run. And I thought we were pretty good. We started the season horribly uh, and it just caught up with us in the end. But I reckon 2011, we were, we were pretty good. Uh, not great. We lost a prelim. Uh, could have snuck through. Um, but I reckon by the the 11 to 12 off season was when they really nailed down a game style. And um, we never ran much in that training, but gee, we did a lot of kicking. And you look at the, the, the kicking skills of, of that team um, and then you get recruiters and stuff going, we just need to get the best kicks. We just need to get the best kicks. We just need to get the best kicks. No point having the best kick. You can't, you know, you can't read a game of football. Or... We had um, Bucky on recently. And uh, he was talking, we asked him, was it just left footers you were just picking all the time? And he said, no, it wasn't really that. But Clarko did approach him at one stage and say, you know, are there any right footers that can kick? <laughs> no, it's, fun. it's funny. Like, I, I, you look at the draft order. I don't think West Coast, uh, sorry, Hawthorne were, uh, West Coast tried to em- emulate what Hawthorne was doing in terms of get kickers in. But Hawthorne weren't going out and going, oh, I just want left footers, left footers, left footers. It just so happened to be that by the time you, you sort of compiled your team together, you're like, gee, there's 15 left footers in a row here, which is just a, a, and I do believe, I do firmly believe the left foot kicking, someone who can kick left foot as a preferred foot is, I think naturally, generally a better kick. I don't know why, there's no science to it, but I just reckon left footers are better kicks of footballs. There's research waiting to be done. Uh, Xavier, answer us this. Um, Something I've been curious about with Clarko, the guitar. Does the guitar date back to when you were at the club, or is that a new post three peat phenomenon? No, no, he, he was getting he's getting on the guitar when I was there. Um, so guitar, he he, he he slaps it away now, but he would find things a challenge or really unique things. Like I remember when I was at um, at the Hawks, we studied the Chinese rice fields, we studied ballet, we studied weather patterns. 
as a team defense, the cyclone sort of effect. Wow, that that's fascinating stuff. What, what's he just trying to engage you? Yeah, and probably overstepped the mark a few times. I mean, I wasn't overly interested in the Chinese rice field today when we were about to go <laughs> and play footy, but um, you know, the the Navy SEALs, uh, we we dived into pretty deeply. Um, the famously the shark on Grand Final Day, two thousand and eight. The shark. Yeah, I think I think I've heard was it Mitch or um, Clark I speak about the shark. It was just something thought of in the morning. I think the conversation is someone rang him and said, what's your big talk going to be about? And uh, he was reading the newspaper or something. He thought, oh, I might go with the shark. But, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the shark and the vision of the shark. And in terms of his thought and stuff, it was bang on. Like if, you, if a shark's not moving forward, they can't breathe. So um, that's Geelong. But... Yeah, he, his guitar and stuff. I've seen I've seen a bit of it over the last six, seven years, and um, it's not great, but uh, <laughs> but it's just the fact that he, he has that mindset and the determination, and he's, again, yeah, as I draw back to that conversation about um, you know, no one knows you do what you want. It's like Clarko does what he wants. Like if you don't like it, move on. But this is what I am, and I'm going to do it. And the ballet thing in uh, in particular, I think I've heard stories about that where. There were players up the back of that team meeting just ripping the absolute piss out of him the entire time. I rang a starter. I was like, can we get a defense? <laughs> oh, Something's all right. But yeah, like he, he has an incredible balance between going, he, he uses the word bunter, going absolutely bunter at, at everyone, but then also the one-on-one nurturing of a, a player who's battling. Um yeah, yeah, he had a really good balance. Like the the, the respect that yeah, you know, and everyone respects a, a four-time premiership coach. Um, but having dealt with him personally, um, I was obviously battling through um, injury, and I was just so down all the time about getting injured. And uh, there's a conversation that I've told a couple of told a couple of people I wrote about it that he rang me one night at like eight thirty at night and um, out of the blue and said, "Mate, meet me at the beach." And I was like, oh my God, man, just let me go to bed. I'm not doing a swim session. But we literally walked up and down the beach for a couple of hours. Um, and he went, we was going to bed and he was worried about me. Um, being had been, I think I'd been out for the year or whatever. And for some reason I'd played on his mind all day and he'd noticed that I wasn't myself at the footy club over a week or two. And he's like, nah, I need, I need to confront this right now. So, um, you know, we, we were down the beach at 11 o'clock at night, walking along, um, just talking about everything. Uh, you know, footy was obviously really important, but his balance of just making sure that people were okay. And I always say that, um, you know, the mental health stuff in football these days is incredibly important. And I wasn't suffering from mental health issues because if I was playing football, I would have been the happiest person in the world. But I was just so mad at myself letting down the Hawthorne Football Club in Clarko. Um, but walking along the beach and just the reassurance that, you know, relax, it's, you know, yeah, he's just saying it's a game. It's a game. When deep down, it's not a game for him. But to try and get in my mind, just chill out. You're not letting me down. Or, you know, da, da, da. It just His inability to go to bed that night and ring me to go for a walk along the beach is just one of the moments that I'm sure, not only me, um, that's, that's my experience. I'm sure there's 50 experiences like that. That's a hell of a thing to do for, as a leader. That is true leadership right there. That is leadership. Yeah, I'll, I'll go to bed tonight um, and think, oh, gee whiz, I wonder how... Um, so and so is. Oh, I'll pick it up tomorrow. I'll, I'll sort it. I'll chat them tomorrow. Whereas for him, he's just like, no, nah, it's now. And it, and, it, and it never spoke of the walk along the beach ever again. Next morning, you looked at him, and I was like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But no, nah, it was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's between us and um, 
you know, I'm glad to hear that the, the outcome has had the effect that he wanted and he probably had a good night's sleep that night. You seem to have quite a good relationship with Hawthorne even these days. Uh, would I be correct in assuming that? Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I've, um, oh, if I didn't hurt my legs, um, you, I, you, I would have been one of those uh, lobbyists um, gluing themselves to Parliament House like the vegans or whatever and saying, you know, save the world. I would have glued myself to the Hawthorne locker and said, you're not kicking me out. <laughs> but, you know... One of, one of the really good things, and you, know, you come to terms with it and peace with it, was just oh, I knew and they knew that I needed to get out. Oh, I just had to get going. And, uh, my instructions to my manager was I just want to get out of Victoria. I, and I had no friends interstate. Like, I'd only ever been country Victoria or, or school boarding house in the footy. But I just wanted to get away. And I'd met a girl um, in that period who uh, she'd said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm from WA. And, and I'd already been dealing with Fremantle. So... I was like, great. Well, I'm going to WA, I think. <laughs> and then now it's me, my wife, and uh, we've got the kid and another one on the way. So, um, yeah, she, she she didn't move back to WA when I moved. She assumed I'd be delisted in 12 months and back to Melbourne. So <laughs> she untightened Melbourne for 12 months, waiting for me to come, like, to come back to Melbourne. But uh, eventually, and, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I would have loved to have played another premiership or two. Absolutely loved it. But, um, you know, I, I went left instead of right, and then turning left means I, I now work in radio. I've got a really good job, and a kid, another kid, and a, and a wife, and I, I love WA. So, I mean, you, you you put a value on premierships, which as a footballer is as high as it can get. But I've um, you know, I've been pretty lucky that uh, the, the trip to WA, as long as it it, it, it didn't win 2015 premiership for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's all turned out pretty well. Well, my next question was going to be, what's next for Xavier Ellis? I think you've you've handily uh, hinted at that, but let's hear some plugs. What are, what are you doing? Where can people find you these days? Yeah, I, um, so I, I imagine the the greater you know fan base of you guys will be out of Melbourne. So I work for a radio station over here, uh, which is Fox FM uh, in in Melbourne. So uh, I do the breakfast radio show there. I've got a a good little a good little gig that you know six till nine. Um, I get up, my alarm goes at five. I drive straight to work in my pajamas. Um, <laughs> I rip through Maccas and get my coffee. I have a meeting at 5.20. Sit there in my pajamas. They look at me like I've been on a bender for you know, three weeks. And then um, the meeting goes for 10 or 12 minutes and I go sit in the shower for half an hour and roll up for six o'clock kickoff. So uh, um, it's, a good, yeah, it's a good gig. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and uh, and I, you quoted, I think, saying I couldn't work in the media and, being in Victoria, you, you can't work in the media. You've got to be Nick Rewalt or um, you know, Jonathan Brown or whoever that. Yeah, superstars, absolute megastars of the competition. We're over here and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that uh, the 06 Premiership side, uh, you know, Ben Cousins, unfortunately, can't work in the media. Daniel Kerr sort of been in and out of um, you know trouble and that sort of stuff. So the superstars that probably should be doing the stuff I'm doing aren't. So... I got really, really, really lucky that there was a, a vacancy, I suppose, for um, you know, a, a sports person to get involved. And a lot of radio shows have a sports person, but I think I've probably moved away from being the footballer now and um, probably more just involved in you know, content creating. But yeah, do that and uh, work for Channel 7 and starting a podcast tomorrow. So there you go, doing my first podcast tomorrow. Got the uh, got the device sitting in front of me. You've been doing a podcast I've been listening to for a while. Yeah, sorry, I do that one too. That's out of the West. Um, the two-minute stuff is great. I love the the siren. And, yeah, yeah. Two minutes each, two minutes every club. Um, we love you know, getting it on each other's backs and, and whatnot. So, 
Um, it's funny, when uh, the, the pandemic broke and I thought I'd be home for a long period of time, I had a wedding credit card, which was almost maxed out, but there was a little bit of room left. I got married at the end of, at this end of last year. Um, so I bought a podcast kit with the remaining remaining amount and thinking we're going to be bunkered down for two years. Well, we're five weeks in and I'm back to work and I've got this podcast system I need to work. So we've got Luke Shuey, Luke Shuey tomorrow. Um, we're going to get get into it but um yeah it's just gonna be called time for a beer where we literally sit down as mates and have a beer and um have a chat about everything so um i'm gonna do that but uh maybe maybe um don't hold me to it if it's no good i'm just gonna sack it well we'll give that a plug when you when you put it up that'll be good oh god oh yeah maybe give it a plug in 12 months when i'll find out the reason You got a talent for it, though, Xavier. You uh, you're very clear, and you don't pull your punches either. It's uh, it's a good. I find it's a good mix you bring. Yeah, I, ne- I never try to be hurtful to anyone. Um, so I cop some grief on Twitter from people. Obviously, they get into me about my weight or whatever. But I find the easiest response to people is I always just write back, "Gee, you're a nasty pasty." Um, <laughs> Amount of times I'm going to be 50% strike rate. Um, I'll get a text, a, a message, or whatever on Twitter saying, "Oh my God, sorry, mate, I was too pissed last night." <laughs> the amount of times people apologise for um, stuff they abuse you on Twitter. So I never try and be uh, nasty to someone, but mm. uh, I, and I usually give them a warning or two in terms of if it's banter. I usually let it go with something you know, you know politely. But um, what is it, three strikes and you're out. So I give them two and then on the third, I usually try and send them. Well, there you go to our listeners out there. If you even think about it, you don't want to be a nasty pasty, so just relax, all right? Don't be a nasty pasty. I don't hate anyone, so don't hate me. <laughs> and, or even, even so, when uh, a lot of people from Melbourne or something yeah, get into me, I always say, if you're ever in Perth, let's get a beer. And I would genuinely get a beer and like, oh, geez, maybe isn't it isn't as bad as what we think. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, Xavier, we've thoroughly enjoyed uh, this podcast with you. Thanks so much for your time. I mean, your, your legacy as a Hawthorne player, it's hard to look past that 2008 game. Running through your stats, I, I'm going to, it is embarrassing, but I'm going to do it. 28 touches, 14 marks, two tackles, two frees, four. You got a pressure goal as well. But of course, famously, and I think Tiz really wanted to highlight this, you had a hit out. What is that about? I actually used to do a little bit of the third man stuff. Um, with Jordan Lewis, and I don't think, <laughs> I hope Brett Renouf doesn't use, I don't think Brett Renouf was going overly well early in the game. So I remember a message coming out saying to Jordan and I, you jump at everything. <laughs> so I, I went up and just jumped. Um, and I don't even remember the hit out, I think I hit the croft. So now hopefully it says hit to advantage, because I think it might have been. Well, there you go. I just, you know, we wanted to put the spotlight on that lone hit out. I, I think so much is made of the rest of your game, but, you know, that deserves a bit of attention. Oh, man, I know, I know you're rapping. I'll just quickly throw something in. There was a game of footy we played in 2009, I reckon, at Sydney, and we had no, we had injuries everywhere and no ruckman. And I think um, someone was off or whatever, and there was four midfielders in the centre bounce. It was me, Brad Sewell, Sam Mitchell, and Luke Hodge. <clears throat> and I think it was Sully who said, you're worth the least. <laughs> Yeah, you got three hitouts that game. Yeah, Darren Jolly <laughs> broke the record that night for hitouts, so you can see you can see what happened. Um, my my frame was trying to ruck against Darren Jolly at the centre bounce. Oh, it was frightening. 
Oh, this is amazing. I've loved hearing all these stories. Thank you so much, Xavier, for uh, giving us your time. And, uh, you know, we have followed your career with interest. And uh, even with West Coast, you helped us out that one year inadvertently. So we thank you for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Damn, and we choked big time. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> is, is that a bad note to end on? No, no, no. I was the mole. You guys sent me over here to advance. And uh, I managed to bring him down from the inside. Uh, nothing would surprise me anymore. Clarko's a genius. He'd come up with something like that as far as I'm concerned. We'll both end in jail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Xavier, thanks so much for joining us from WA. We really appreciate it. No, guys, thanks very much. And, uh, yeah, obviously, I hope there's a lot of season. Well, Tiz, I'm going to level with you. I had an absolute blast editing that one. Uh, listening to it back, it was just as entertaining the second time. And, uh Geez, that was good fun. He knows his stories, doesn't he? He's an interesting character. He seems happy. He's got a lot going on in the West. I'm glad that he still has a pretty good relationship with the Hawthorne Footy Club. I'm glad he got more out of his body after he left Hawthorne. I think it was an unspent force and reached another grand final. Really good effort from where he was. And and I'll never forget his efforts in that 2008 grand final, sitting in the sun that day watching him. That's an astonishing game. Like, if you... If you're going to have a really good game, yeah, make it on the big stage. And didn't he just? Well, that's the kind of stuff Clarko talks about. Uh, you lose a soldier, you know, you replace him with another soldier. And, and he stepped up in the moment, got that hit out. That's the kind of stuff. <laughs> I hope Hawks fans enjoyed this one because I know for a fact that when you talk about 08, people are very quick to sing the praises of Xavier Ellis as they should. Uh, he was phenomenal that day, and he was a good servant for the footy club for a long time. I reckon those uh, Cats players would know Xavier Ellis's name after that game, <laughs> don't you? Might have been uh, burned into their eardrums at three-quarter time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it all works out. Good on him. I love that. I love that as a story. And we took to him um, as Hawthorne supporters, didn't we? We always wanted him on the pitch. We loved it when he was out there. We knew what we could get from Xavier Ellis and they were high, very high levels of skill. And um, as he went over to the West, they embraced him as well. And I'm glad he's doing beautifully over there and he's got a lovely life. And yeah, they've embraced him for what we saw in him as well. And I'm, I'm pleased that he was able to get that out of himself when he got there. He just had the clean air for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we start getting into the social media stuff, Tiz, and signing off, um, we're recording this on a day where it's been announced that we're going to have football again. Yeah, how good. I'm, I've not quite adjusted to that yet. Well, it's still up in the air, but at least, you know, they're going to training on Monday and we can look forward to something happening. I'm not sure the structure of it and, you know, how balanced it might be, but could just turn out to be a few exhibition rounds and they don't get the whole season. Who who knows? But footy's back. Footy's back. June 11th, was it? June 11th is purported to be the day there. <laughs> you're, you're so cagey about it. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I haven't fully adjusted to the announcement that it's back. Well, I, I'm just looking at the numbers, particularly in Melbourne. I mean, um, it, it's no better. It, it's worse here than anywhere else in, in Australia. God, when did that happen? I thought we were doing okay. Anyway, you know, we can't be down in the mouth about it. We've done really well. But the fact that uh, South Australia and WA won't be opening their borders and, you know. Anyway, it's all up in the air. But I'm glad the, the footy players are back. And there's a lot of pain going on, as as uh, Xavier Ellis mentioned, all the, the bit players at the clubs, you know, the heart and soul people who don't take a lot out of the 
out of the wallets of the uh, club, but they put in a hell of a lot. They're the ones that are going to be first on the scrap heap and, you know, through no fault of their own. If it demonstrates anything, it's that so much goes on behind the scenes in, in all of this and, and so much has gone on behind the scenes to get footy back in some shape or form. So, you know, like as you can hear the way I'm talking about it, I haven't quite adjusted yet, but footy's back and uh, we'll be there, won't we, Tiz? Not, not in person, but we'll be covering it. Is it wrong to call it a, a rebirthing? Because that's kind of what it feels like. It's going to be very changed. Yeah, there's so much intrigue about what's going to happen on that June 11th. <laughs> it could be six on the interchange bench. There'll be shorter games. It'll only be televised. There won't be crowds. You know, it's uh, it's footy without actually being the footy of the meat pie and sauce in the stands and, and having a crack at the bloke in white who's no longer in white, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, Look, one day it'll all be back to normal, but I've got to be honest for now. Am I excited about footy being back? Oh, yeah, I'll take it. I'm still excited about having had Xavier Ellis on the pod. (laughs) Well, that's fair enough. That was uh, a very fun interview. Hey, uh, listeners, if you really enjoyed yourself as much as we did uh, chatting with Xavier here on the show, uh, why don't you leave us a review? You can jump on Apple Podcasts and uh, chuck us a rating and review there. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, Twitter is a a little community. Well, it's not so little anymore. Been building that one up. Past 2,000 followers, you can jump on there and uh, join the conversation with us at Hawk Talk Pod. Do the same on Facebook as well if you like. Facebook.com slash Hawk Talk Pod. And the big one for us is Patreon.com slash Hawk Talk Pod. Patreon being the platform where you can uh, jump on, subscribe, and support us. Get your, get all of our bonus episodes as well. Um, basically, whatever you want to do $1, $2, $5, you name the price. And uh, if you support us, well, that would just be incredible. How about this, mate? We're on a roll. Tony Wilson into Gary Bacanara into. Liam Shields into Xavier Ellis. Incredible. We are struck gold. It's been a pretty good time. And uh, speaking of gold, how's this sound? Joining forces with the Golden Years podcast. And haven't they been cracking some interviews? We're delighted to announce a special crossover event, is with uh, Ash, Darren and Andrew. So watch this space. You're going to absolutely want to hear that one. Uh, two big Hawthorne podcasts coming together for a crossover spectacular. I'm just waiting for them to name Nash in the lineup, to be honest. That's, that's where my <laughs> mind is now. Jeez, that didn't take long. Yeah, and if they've got a six man bench, I can see McGuinness getting a go. What do you reckon? And EJ, even? That's wow. the thing. Like, because the, this season is so weird, it does throw up all this sort of fantasy booking, so to speak. Like, you know, who do you plug into the team because you can and. Yeah, I don't know. Or you're starting to win me over, Tiz. I'm starting to get properly excited for this weird season again. Burgoyne. Oh, Burgoyne. Are you back yet? Oh, I'm back, mate. There you go. I'm back, mate. <laughs> this has been the Hawk Talk Podcast. We are a happy team at Hawthorne.